today on Ag News Daily. Toss it into the grain bin, come back the next day and your grain bin's level. Or as it's evacuating the, the grain, it will lower down those sides. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined on the other microphone by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? Pretty good, Mike. How about you? Not too bad, Delaney. I understand Iowa is now uh, facing the same kind of restrictions that Illinois is facing. Bars and restaurants are closed. No events more than 50 people. Just uh, hunker down at home. Is that right? Yeah, it's actually 10 people. No more than 10 people at events. So they've closed banks, churches, schools, gyms, restaurants, bars. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know. I know. It's crazy. I went down to the Verizon store earlier today to get a new tablet, and they were closed. Yeah, it's just, I mean, unfortunately, that's, it feels like that's the only thing that's dominating the headlines. And so, you know, I don't know how much time people want us to spend talking about this, because obviously there's a lot of moving parts, but that's definitely what's dominating the headlines, both ag and non-ag today, and probably for the next week or two. Yeah, I would say for the next week or 10 days, the predominant focus of any newscast is coronavirus and the impact thereof. However, some of these impacts are opening some opportunities. We are seeing the United States making announcements that they could begin purchasing U.S. produced crude oil for the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, um, and they could start filling it back up. And they think that with prices as cheap as they are, the government will fill the SPR completely in several months. Uh, This came after late on Friday, President Trump said he ordered the Energy Department to fill the reserve, quote, to the top. Mm. And uh, basically the goal here is twofold. One, it's there is a strategic component. We want to have enough crude oil on hand that if military action is ever required, we can keep things fueled up and ready to go. The second reason they want to do this is uh, it's political. Um, Basically, the hope is that... um, By purchasing an additional 77 million barrels of crude of only U.S.-produced crude oil, we can help out domestic really struggling with the sell-off in crude oil price. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. And, well, it seems like the administration is doing quite a bit to try and keep the economy afloat. As I mentioned yesterday on the podcast, Mike, we also have seen now the House pass a multi-billion dollar stimulus package And yesterday, we also saw the Senate side of things take some time to fix a couple technical pieces of that, but they're expected to vote on that bill as well. We're also seeing the White House put together a package that could be as much as or more than $800 billion in aid to prop up various components of the U.S. economy, from tax deferments to loans for airlines, hotels, and other industries And they've even gone as far now as to say, I saw this article this morning, as to say that they might send out Americans' checks directly in order to combat economic devastation. Yes, Secretary Mnuchin, that was a piece of news I was going to report on. Secretary Mnuchin talked earlier this morning, really doubled down on it, said that hopefully in the next few weeks, the administration will be cutting checks directly to Americans. I have no idea what those checks are going to look like or who is going to be determined to need one, but... um, Apparently, there's going to be uh, going to be some dollars trickling out of D.C. back towards uh, the, some of the taxpayers anyway. Yeah, and it's interesting. The Taxpayers for Common Sense, who I know we've had on the podcast a few times, put out an interesting, I guess you could call it editorial column on that today. 
And their points, I think, are good points to make. But they said, you know, if you're giving out, you know, 800 to a trillion dollars, somebody has to pay for that money. And so, you know, right. they're, they're saying, are we going to have to pay that back? Is it going to be structured as a loan with no interest? Are we going to see increased tax rates at some point in the future after yes. we get through all of this? I mean, somebody has to pay for that money. That's not just free money that we're going to receive from the government and not be expected to pay back in some sort of capacity. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think they're exactly right about that, Delaney. It's going to uh, – somebody eventually is going to have to pick up the check. But as of right now, I don't hear much discussion about how or where that money is going to come from. They're just going to get it done and figure out a way to get it sent out. So we'll continue to keep an eye on it. That is going to be a story that will develop here over the next – probably through Friday. We'll start to get some actual firm details, see what is legal, what's allowable, how the structure might look, because all of those things I'm really debating these topics right now. Well, Mike, the other piece of, I guess, coronavirus-related news or market news, really, because we've seen the cattle industry continue to take the brunt end of things here, we've seen the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, which is, of course, a smaller group compared to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, they've sent out a letter directly to the USDA asking for direct aid to cope with the recent plunge in cattle prices largely tied to you know, recession concerns, coronavirus concerns, etc. And, you know, still tying it back to the fact that packers are making a lot of money, even when you go to the grocery store and you see that there is just not a lot of beef left on the shelves. We saw a big spike. Yeah, packers are able to fold this money over and stick it in their pocket, that's for sure. But we are seeing positive moves. We'll get to that here in the market segment. I mean, we did see a limit move to the upside in cattle today. It marks the fifth straight day of limit moves no, excuse me. I got a little excited. We had uh, Wednesday of last week was not a limit day, but every other day in the past five has been in the cattle market. So it's been it's been volatile, that's for sure. Speaking of volatility, Delaney, I've got a story here completely non-coronavirus related. Are you ready? I'm ready. So fantastic. Venture capital investors, according to DTN, poured $2.8 billion into startups in the ag tech space. Um, there's an, a, a review put together by, called the 2019 Agri-Food Tech Investment Review. And uh, this was uh, developed by a venture capital company called Finisteer Ventures. And they went to look at um, basically investing. And they found that most of the money was being spent on later stage venture capital deals. So these are companies that are, they've already developed their product or their service. They're already out there. They're just looking to raise a little funds, probably looking, getting closer to going public. But they also found that investments in indoor farming startups had the fastest growth of investments, 2018, excuse me, 2019 over 2018. But most of the money was spent on crop protection and input management. $967 million was invested in that sphere, about 37% of all ag tech investment. Um, and this would include uh, companies like Indigo Ag, Pivot Bio, and Ginkgo Bioworks, which is not one we have talked to, Delaney. No, it's not, but it's definitely one that I see mentioned on Twitter and elsewhere. Well, we'll have to get in touch with them and have them come on to talk for our uh, Hashtag Tech Tuesday one of these days. We certainly will. And of course, today is a Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and we've got a great interview coming up with a father-son combo who you've probably seen on Twitter really just within the last two weeks here blow up with their 
new invention, their new creation, the Grain Weevil, and we'll get to that here in just a little bit. Mike, I just had one other quick update as we look at the U.S.-Chinese situation. We are continuing to see China really clear the way for U.S. agricultural goods to breach their shores once all the port confusion is cleared up and whatnot. We've seen them also op- open up, reopen up here just recently, U.S. dried distillers grains and announced a list of U.S. companies that are eligible to export the product to come to Chinese shores. And so there's about 88 different U.S. companies that will be part of this reopening process. However, I thought this was interesting because as we're continuing to see ports reopen and get back up to speed, people are still, I mean, being charged and having issues, regardless of the fact that the Chinese aren't able to come and necessarily get all of the containers because of transportation issues on their end, cargo ships are still getting charged these fees for just physically sitting there. Sure, sure. I mean, the economy doesn't stop. If there are holdups, if there are delays, you know, we were talking about the uh, the servers in Illinois, now in Iowa, you know, their rent's still going to be due on April 1st, even if the co- government says you can't go into work. And same yeah. thing is true in the world of container vessels. Yes. That rent is still due. It is. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, uh, should we take a look at the markets before we dive into our Tech Tuesday discussion? Let's do it. All right, folks, we've got mixed trade in the markets today. We've got corn and wheat, well, corn down, wheat mixed, beans, oh, mixed. Um, Big moves to the upside in the cattle complex, and let's just see how the day ended. Starting with the corn crop, May 20, down 10 and three quarter cents at 344 even. December, new crop down four and a half to finish the day at 362 and a half. Over in soybeans, the May contract was up three cents at 824 and three quarters, with November new crop down one and a half, finishing at 843 and a quarter. Looking over at Chicago wheat, the May 2020 up one and three quarters at 499 and three quarters. December new crop down three quarters of a cent at 515 and a half. Looking over at livestock, we've got live cattle utilizing their full expanded limit today. April contract limit up, up the expanded for trading limit to close at 96.35. June also limit up on the day at 89.75. Jumping down to feeder cattle, again, utilizing their expanded limits. Well, just the March, which is pretty well expired. April only up $2.77.5 cents at one ten eight. Up a dollar eighty-seven fifty to close at one eleven eighty-five. Lean hogs limit moves again. Expanded limits today. The April contract was up four fifty to finish at fifty-eight forty-seven fifty. The May up four forty-seven fifty to close at sixty-two sixty-seven and a half. Over in the dairy markets, we got a little bit of red on the screen. The March uh, class three milk contract was down three cents at sixteen thirty-three. With the April down a penny. Finishing the day at fifteen ninety nine. Without further ado, let's jump into our hashtag Tech Tuesday segment and learn a little bit about the grain weevil. Well, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are joined by two gentlemen who make up JLI Robotics, and you may have seen them on Twitter. They are also the founders of Grain Weevil. Chad and Ben, thank you both for joining us today. Chad, I'm going to start with you. And this is, I guess, for our listeners, you guys are a father-son combo, which is really neat to see. 
here in agriculture. And I think a lot of people respect that working with family, although it maybe not always is the most easy thing to do. But Chad, when you look at JLI Robotics, tell us a little bit about the makeup of your company. Well, we actually started when Ben was in high school. As he was finishing up high school, he started doing some um, electronics projects for other companies. So we got to start building this company as an experience for him as he went off to college, um, helped pay for college a little bit. Um, but more importantly, we've just done this as a, as a project for experience. Um, that wasn't until the grain weevil drove on the grain the other day. Then, then all, all this stuff has changed a little bit in the last week. So very exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. And I, sure a lot of our, our listeners have probably seen the Grain Weevil tweets floating around, but let's we've mentioned the name quite a bit. Tell us, what is the Grain Weevil? What have you guys been developing? Ben, I know you've been a, a big part of this. Why don't you bring us up to speed with what the Grain Weevil does? Yeah, so um, back in 2017, our good family friend, Zach Honeycutt, um, a, a big farmer here in our local area, brought up the idea that, hey, you guys build robots. Um, you like doing that, so why don't you build me a robot so I never have to get into a grain bin again? So when, with that idea and with some knowledge on some robots, we started brainstorming, um, brainstorming different ideas of what we could do um, with the technologies that we have. And so it was a slow process at first, but um, eventually we started churning out some ideas on how we want to drive on the, on the grain, how we want to um, go about doing different things that could help the farmer in the grain bin. So um, we eventually landed on the auger style drive that you can see in the video on Twitter. Um, and so that was a big step towards actually getting a product that um, can prove that it can do something for someone. So that was uh, really the process that we took to get to where we are now. And so through some minor tweaks and some other testing and stuff, it was actually just Saturday that we had our first successful test, and that's really what kicked off um, this string of events that brought us here. And that's very exciting. It's been really cool to see just how quickly folks are excited about this technology already on Saturday. Looking at the video, I mean, it really does look like a little bug running through the corn bin. Tell us what is the goal? What's the point of using this application, or what was your end goal? Yeah, so the end goal, um, there's a few different things, but the main problem that we're trying to solve is um, to break up the deposits and grain bridges that happen inside of a grain bin that cause farmers to need to jump in and use a shovel to dig that out to get the corn flowing again. Um, we want to eliminate that problem so that farmers aren't at risk for um, the collapse of corn on top of them and getting entrapped and that sort of thing. We want to eliminate with that with a robot so that they can stay safe. So, Chad, talk to us a little bit about how the grain weevil works. Ben mentioned the auger drives. You've got two augers on either side of the machine, which basically propel it forward and backwards or left and right. How, how is it going to work to break up these uh, deposits and, and bridges and, you know, crusts in a grain bin? So there are a couple of advantages of using the, the auger drives. Um, augers are designed to move corn or move grain of, of any sort. So as we put the augers and, and the way we've designed the body 
the augers actually dig into the corn as it propels itself across the surface. Um, so our, our first um, line of action is actually just the augers digging into the corn and, and breaking up, loosening up. Our idea is that as the robot moves around, it, it breaks up the viscosity so that the corn will flow easier. Um, so really we're trying to use gravity um, as the main tool. We're just helping it along a little bit. So the second thing that we have, the underbelly, um, it is designed to help keep it flowing through the corn, but it's also a payload bay where as we develop and as we move forward, we'll be able to put in different, different um, underbellies, one of them being a percussion device that uh, as the percussion device vibrates, it, it uses that vibration to help break up the grain. Um, and then we also have the capability of doing like a, a, a short little grain drill to, to poke down and actually poke through the grain if we need to. So lots of options inside of that payload um, bay down at the bottom. So we'll, we'll have to find a few grain bins that they would like us to jump in and help out with um, and, and do some testing to see what actually breaks up those really hard grain bridges um, we know it's not an easy task, but we've got lots of power that we can use. So it's it should be very effective. And Chad, I know that you guys are still in the prototype phase, the very early prototype phase as it sounds, but is this intended green grain weevil to be like a Roomba where you just turn it on and let it loose? Or do you have some sort of robotic control or a remote control that controls what it does once it's in the grain bin? So we actually have three phases designed in the process. Obviously our first go round will be your line of sight using a, a controller um, where you could see the robot, you could drive it around remotely. Um, our next step and what Ben is actually working on right now is the, um, the first person viewer where you have the camera on the robot so that you can safely stand down on the ground and not have to be up hanging in the grain bin to see it. Uh, but you'll have a camera system, so you're still driving it remotely, but you've got a camera system to see where you're going and, and evaluating where you're working on. And then the final stage is the Roomba style. Toss it into the grain bin, come back the next day, and your grain bin's level. Or as it's evacuating the, the grain, it will lower down those sides so we can eliminate the, the chances of the, the grain avalanches and the entrapments. Um, the coolest part about it is we have the, the capabilities of swarming. Um, so your larger grain bins, you can throw in two or three, and they can operate different patterns around working together. Um, so that's kind of that final phase as, as we progress through um, getting these out onto the farms. Now, Ben, I know question a lot of growers are going to have, and I know you guys are still in development, is what kind of lifespan of battery power are you expecting to have with a robot like this? Obviously, you're utilizing a lot of power to move through a, a, a surface like corn. How long can you expect a battery to last? Or I guess, what are you guys working on developing for longevity? Yeah, so that's kind of a big next step for us is to um, find a little more money for us to develop and uh, start working with better um, devices. So we want to look for better batteries. Um, right now we're just using a, a drill battery out of your standard drill. Um, so it's not the highest quality um, devices right now. 
So we're trying to move towards um, some brushless motors that are more efficient, some bigger batteries that'll get us some more life. Um, and so I think right now our main goal is to get it closer to an hour of runtime. Um, and from there, we can kind of test and see and get some more feedback from the farmers to see, does it only need to run for 20 minutes? Does it need to run for longer than an hour? That's, that's really what we're kind of trying to do. Um, and that's a big part of why we wanted to release what we're doing so early is because we really, we're, we're not farmers, so we don't know exactly what they want. And we want to work with the farmers to gift them something that they can uh, utilize in the best way. So Ben, you mentioned that you guys are not farmers. You're still in college. Explain to me, or maybe both you, both of you can share this, explain the dynamic of working as a father-son team and also where you guys sit as far as backgrounds go and your idea to even start this process, start this idea. You got this one? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> my background is um, education. I'm actually a school teacher by trade. I work for uh, a public power utility here in Nebraska and do education programs. Um, but we also started a nonprofit called Youth Engaged in Technology and Innovation um, about, well, it was when Ben was in the sixth grade. Um, and we give kids opportunities to build robots and solve problems for businesses. Um, we Lots of different opportunities for um, going to learn what technologies are out there in rural Nebraska right now so that kids don't have to think they've got to go to Chicago or Boston to, to engage in technology. So this project was actually started as um, one of our community challenges where Ben started solving this problem through this nonprofit. And as we, we progressed then, um, once we kind of got into the business side of things, um, we started the, JLI Robotics, so that we could do more things than we could do inside the nonprofit um, educational um, realm. Uh, so it's kind of a fun dynamic since I have not a lot of robotics experience, um, but we rely on Ben for the electronics and the, the the electrical engineering side of things, and I'm kind of the dream up the new ideas and then challenge him to make them happen type of a, of a partner. So it's a lot of fun working, obviously as a, as a dad, it's a lot of fun working with you, with your son. So. That's very cool. Ben, before we let you go, you mentioned you were really seeking farmer input. Tell our listeners, how can they, where can they go to see some videos of the grain weevil in action today and where should they be going to make recommendations or offer some thoughts on what you guys could be working on in the future to, uh, to make grain bins safer. Yeah, um, on Twitter, at JLI Robotics, uh, head over there and check us out and send us a DM if you want. And we also have, it's grainweevil.com, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay, okay, grainweevil.com, and there's a link to send in your email, and we can keep you updated and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Fantastic, folks. Be sure to get on there, grainweevil.com, or on Twitter at JLI Robotics. Check this stuff out. You know, anything we can do to reduce the amount of time that any grower has to spend in the bin is a way to keep us all safe, especially in a year like this where the, the crop, oh, man, has been going out of condition like crazy in these grain bins. Let's use technology to make life a little safer. Chad and Ben, thanks for going above and beyond to find a way to do that, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us here on the podcast. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, anything that can be done in the technology sector to improve you know, the, I mean, this is one of the most dangerous occupations that people have to do. So anything to improve that element of our jobs, I think is fantastic, such as this up and coming new technology, Mike. Absolutely. Folks get out there, let them know, you know, they are wide open for farmer input. Um, what do you need? What would make you safer? What would make you feel more comfortable knowing that your father or your son or your aunt or your uncle or your husband or your wife was out there working around a grain bin? What would help put your mind at ease? Those are the the stuff, those are the things you want to know to make this thing successful out here in farm country. Absolutely. But you all are probably going to be quarantined here at least maybe for the next two weeks. Maybe not if you uh, work on the farm. But if there's any topics you'd like us to be covering on the podcast, please feel free to shoot us a message at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or if you're like me and you're just getting cabin fever already and you need somebody to chat with, feel free to reach out to us for that as well. Absolutely. Hit us up in all those places or visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.